Hello, hello, everyone. E hola, hola. Welcome to the Pediatric Speech Sister Show. I'm your sis, Melanie Y. Evans. I am a speech pathologist here to learn with you and discuss more ways we can uplift culturally diverse communities in our professions in day-to-day lives. If you like this episode, let me know what you think in the reviews. Send a screenshot to my DMs on Instagram at Pediatric Speech Sister, and I'll send you a freebie for your journey. Let's get into today's episode. Pediatric Speech Sisters show live. Today, I'm so excited to have Pamela Rowe here. She is just a fabulous mentor in the speech language pathology. Pam, I'm going to let you give yourself the official introduction. But the reason why I brought Pam on here is because we have Start Your Engines, Start Your Engines. And she is the co-author of this book. And y'all, when I was starting my clinical fellowship year, I really wish I knew about this book. They have excellent tips as far as managing supervision relationships, negotiating salaries, and so much more. So Pam, I'm going to go ahead and let you take it away and introduce yourself. Yes. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. My name is Pamela Rowe. I'm a speech-language pathologist and CEO and now a doctoral student of health sciences with the University of Indianapolis. I have a thriving seven-figure practice in Florida. We now have seven offices. The seventh office is opening next weekend. So it's so exciting. I love what I do. I love serving the communities. I love working with new SLPs. We have a lot of SLPAs. We have a lot of clinical fellows. So we really strive to be a nurturing place for new therapists to learn and hone in on their craft and explore their passions. Well, thank you so much for that introduction. Some things that are already coming to my mind, and I was telling you a bit about it before we went live, is people want to know about your journey, Pam. They care about the CFY, but they want to know about what brought you to where you are today. Well, it was quite a journey. So as far as becoming a speech-language pathologist, I really noticed when I was in the ninth grade, I really enjoyed speaking. My speech teacher, who I also babysat for, worked on public speaking. I was on the extemporaneous speaking team, the debate team. I dabbled in a little bit of drama, but I really enjoyed working on my speech, working on the modulation of my communication. And it got me thinking about people that could not communicate. So I did some research. This is in ninth grade. I was my own guidance counselor, (laughs) researcher, and I found out about the field of speech language pathology. And from that point that I found that, no one could tell me anything different. And that's just how I am. I don't need people to say, go for it. Everybody was asking me, what is a speech language pathologist? I said, it's what I'm going to be. That's what it is. But I would explain to it. So since ninth grade, I've been an advocate for the field of speech language pathology. I've been educating people on the field of speech language pathology. So much so, like at the high school level, as I'm telling my guidance counselors, like, I think I know what that is. They help with, oh, no, no, they do a lot more than that because your elevator pitch has to get more, it has to get better, right? 
The more you're telling your family about it, they're like, oh, what do you do? Feed pigeons? The more you're telling them about it, the more you're like, I've got to perfect this so I can just hit the bullet points really quickly. So it really helped me to talk about it in ninth grade and 10th grade, educate my teachers, educate my classmates, educate my guidance counselor about the field. And by the time I graduated, I was already sold out on it, but I was ready to talk about it and be about it. I know. You give us that elevator pitch that you gave people when they asked. Oh my gosh. Well, going back to my ninth grade self, I would really try to emphasize the ends of the words though. So I would say, well, a speech language pathologist does more than just work with children. They work with individuals of all ages. They work with basically individuals from the chest up. We're working on swallowing. We're working on voice. We're working on speech. We're working on cognition. We're working on language. And they're like, I don't believe you. That's too much. No, we do it all. We also work with individuals that have hearing impairments, that have hearing aids. We teach them how to utilize their communication in a better way. So that's what I've been talking about since ninth grade. Well, you definitely have me sold on joining speech pathology. And we've never invited to parties. And I think that <laughs> had something. I'm not kidding. I was never invited to parties. You would never see me like wild time or anything like that. I was already like in grad school in ninth grade. So you're like, like, I have a job to do. I already know what I'm doing. Yeah, it, it was what it was. Well, thank you so much for that. The reason even why I asked that is because I remember in graduate school for the first year in clinical practicum, they had us working on that elevator pitch. And so I don't know if everyone had that in their program. So yeah, yeah you hit the nail on the head with that one. Can you tell us a little bit about the book, Start Your Engine? Well, first off, I have to give a shout out to my co-authors, Natasha Carvey-Joseph, speech language pathologist and CEO of Therapy Essentials and Adrian Fuller, MS, CCCSLP, speech language pathologist and owner, real estate mogul of Speech Builders. But my co-authors, this is the second book that we released, and it's all about getting ready, mind, energy-wise, thought-wise, introspectively, getting ready for your clinical fellowship year. So, so much I know is about finding the job, finding the job. There's a lot of inner work and decompression and detoxing and just a, a lot of time that needs to be taken after you graduate, that woo-saw moment. Not everybody is, I guess, financially stable enough or fortunate enough or financially blessed enough to take a gap year. A lot of people don't have it like that because last thing I heard was that your student loans aren't taking a gap time there either. So a lot of people are like, I got to get in there. And, and plus, I'm already in that mindset. And this is what I've been waiting for my entire graduate school career. So I'm ready to get going. But it's necessarily necessary to take just some time to pause and think about what your needs are. You don't have to wait till after grad school. This is definitely, if you are in grad school, I would start thinking about that very early on. Like, what do you need? What do you notice that you need as a young professional, as a new professional, as a 
emerging professional, what do you need as a professional to support your clinical fellowship year? And what do you think that you needed at that time? Oh, I needed supervision, to be honest. I needed supervision. I didn't have that. And as I think back as a Black student, I went to a Catholic school since grade uh, K. <laughs> so fun fact, and I was on scholarship. My All of my sisters and my brother, we're a sibling group of six. We were all in scholarship, and we all went to Assumption School. And um, so, yeah, affirmative action. Um, yes, South the buzzword. Um, so <laughs> we, we went through there. K through eight, and then I went to Bishop Kenny High School, ninth through twelfth. And no, my family, we weren't rich. We were not rich. The tuition was expensive, but my dad would wash cars. He would work out deals with the administration. So we, he worked his tail off to make sure that all of his kids had the opportunity to get that PWI education, and we did. And we thrived in it. I never was coached. I say all that to say I never was coached or I never felt like teacher really, really super coached me, not until ninth grade. And then that was a little different. But I didn't have that feeling like I I had a lot of people coaching me. I didn't know what that kind of looked like. So by the time I get to college everybody just like oh she's great she's well-spoken she's got it and there's also the aspect of being a, a black woman a young black woman people are going to assume that you're stronger than your other raced uh counterparts namely we're slps SLP in a grad school program so our caucasian uh counterparts they're just going to believe wow you've really made it far and you're right here you must be really really strong so they think that you don't need coaching and you don't need you don't need to be taken under your wings or anything like that so mm-hmm. I, I never had that really I never really had that truly truly had that mentor kind of relationship so when I got to my CFY it was no different okay it was no different she's like you got it you got it? What am I going to say? I don't have it. I've never done a clinical fellowship before. What am I supposed to have? You're the mentor. I'm the mentee. Why are you asking me if I have it? Why are you asking me that? So yeah, right now where I am and as many people as I've mentored, I do find a little bit of resentment for people that just are lazy as mentors and do not even engage as mentors. So anyway, I did not have that. My mentorship was basically, you got it at the beginning and then coming over to her house at the end, holding her baby so that the baby doesn't cry while she fills out my paperwork. It was good. It was good. Yeah, it was good. Okay, good. Congratulations. Have a good career. That was, there was no meetings. There was nothing. So I learned a lot just by myself and bolstering up my own, I guess, encouragement reservoirs. 
I think I'm not different than a lot of SLPs and SLPs of color. We just know how to encourage ourselves. And unfortunately, that does not bode well when the name of the game in life is networking. We don't do it. We're like, I got it. I got it. I'm strong. Everybody's been telling me I'm strong and I got it my whole life, my whole life. So I don't know how to pause and network. So that, that was what my CFY was. And it took a while for me to break out of it. Hey. What do you think it took to break out of it? Okay. So you want to hear what it took to break out of it? Yes, I do. Of course. Of course. Someone that has it and everything. I finished. I finished my CF and my husband, my late husband, who was my biggest champion at the time, he said, I really think you should own your own practice. Like, again, you got it. You got it. I'm like, I'll own my own practice. Okay, I'll start that. Well, I guess I should talk to my boss. I told my boss, hey, I'm thinking of starting my own practice. You know what he said? I think you can. You got it. You got it. Okay. All right. I got it. I got it. How do I tell you what? You got seven patients. I'm going to give you your seven patients and you can start your practice using those seven patients. Okay. I got it. I got it. I got it. Yeah. Right. So um, it really, I hit the ground running, started my practice. And it really wasn't until I saw I needed to hire on someone and I had to learn how to collaborate. And that was a whole learning you know, that you don't have it all the time. So mm-hmm. I learned how to hire. I learned how to collaborate. I learned how to network and not just network and just give people my information and try to be of use to them, but allow people to be of use to me. So it's been a learning curve and that's what it took, the hiring and learning how to collaborate. Mm-hmm. I'm just hearing, I got it, I got it, you got it, you got it. And I'm like, you need to have that be your slogan or get that tattooed somewhere. Yeah. No. I don't like pain and I don't like needles. So. Yeah. Now, that does make me want to ask then. I'm sure that getting over those learning curves of even being a mentor was a lot. And so when you yeah. had your first mentee, how did you get over those little butterflies or those scaries with that first mentee? For that first mentee, I am so different now than where I started. So when I started as a mentor, it really was me trying to make sure that A and B and C boxes were checked. That That's it. I really wasn't considering him. To be honest, culturally speaking, in our SLP field, it was never a thing where we were talking about, we only talk about constructive criticism. Like we had those kind of buzzwords, you know, we didn't have imposter syndrome. We didn't have a lot of introspective. That was not happening in the 90s. And it certainly was not happening in the 2000s. Uh, the 99s and the 2000s, it was not there. Um, so a lot of how the field has shaped and things that have changed from other fields and how it's impacting this field of speech pathology that has changed me but at the beginning getting over those scaries it really was all about relationship thank goodness that's what I feel everything was built on to be honest my practice relationships the referrals I always 
understood the importance of relationship because uh, every summer in high school, I worked in a doctor's office. Shout out to Dr. Milan. I worked in his practice, kind of like an internship, but I got paid. And I just noticed and just observed how it was all about different relationships and the relationship within the staff, the relationship with the doctors, the relationship with the pharmaceutical reps that would come. It was very interesting to see the entire interconnectedness and intersectionalism of relationships in the medical field, in a medical practice. So it was very interesting. So I understood that how to relate to people and how to make sure you are trying to meet their needs, the customer service, that was always really big with me. So for me, the mentor-mentee relationship had a lot to do with customer service. They're my customer in a way. Mm -hmm. I would like for you to elaborate on that a bit because a few things that are coming up is your own personal clinical fellowship experience. I'm sure there are so many clinical fellows and even people who are still going through externships who have had those supervisors that are just kind of like, all right, here's the first little training. You got this, you good. Where, of course, we don't really know what we don't know. And at the same time, we might be afraid or too ashamed to say, I don't have it. I actually have no idea what I'm doing. Or they might be just like how you were afraid to ask for help. It's like, well, I've been told I got this, so I should subconsciously. It's like, I should be strong, right? I should yeah. be this. So two parts to this question, but the biggest thing that's coming to my mind is as a supervisor, how could other supervisors listening to this create that safe space for the supervisees? And how can supervisees get over that? As a supervisor, I really would say Um, coming up with a method to the madness, coming up with a schedule. So it's been a while. So this is the thing. I have clinical supervisors that work under me that actually are the supervisors now for CF. I'm a CEO. I don't have a lot of time. The only time I would say I can do like any supervision is if I really have a relationship with the the CF. The thing is you have to have the time and you have to make it methodical. Meaning I am going to observe three new patients in this amount of time. I am going to monitor and I'm going to preview your paperwork this amount of time. You have to have a formula for yourself. No one's going to really set it up. I mean, So we see that, oh, you have to have 18 hours and 18 indirect hours and this many monitoring. But I don't know. I just say for a quality CF program, it's not enough. 18 hours goes by just like that. And so when I was looking at that, I was actually doing like a quick little orientation with my newest CF. And I was like, oh, you're going to have more than that, like the first month, like not that I'm going to be on you like white on rice, but we're, you're going to have the supervision from me as the clinical director. You're going to have that relationship with your clinical supervisor. You're going to feel supported. And to just know that you're going to have these numbers and treat it like science. 
Treat it like science. Let's get out of everything being like so emotion-led. Treat it like science. Turn it into a scientific experiment. <laughs> hey, how about you do a hypothesis? You have the first third. Let's hypothesize, okay? How many hours do you think we need? Over how much time? And you come up with your own scientific experiment as a supervisor. Then you get your second third and then you've got your third third so hypothesize what's needed and i'm sorry we got a subject of one so if it's your first cf your first time supervising you're going to have to come up with the hypothesis of what is needed you're going to need to revisit the data points and mm -hmm. adjust you're going to have to it's a dynamic assessment that you're doing a dynamic uh project that you're doing and adjust as needed and go from there. But it, it's, the nine months goes by so quickly if you do not intentionally approach it as a supervisor. I have to ask you if you have any, um, maybe even an example that you can walk us through, like on how we can look at it as a science experiment. So I have said the subject. Um, my CF. Okay. So she started, this was an external hire. Okay. So this is someone that has nothing to do with our company, just in faith, took a risk and said, yes, I'm going to put myself in your hands and I'm going to allow you to mold me and my career and my mind. That's a lot of trust, right? That's a lot of trust. So I know I'm getting a little into it, but that's a lot that they're agreeing to. Okay. So she comes and I have to then come up with a plan with her clinical supervisor, knowing that she doesn't have any reference to our company culture. So it takes a lot. It takes a lot. I think she's already completed like 10 to 12 hours so far of that supervision time. And this is only her like second week. So I had to adjust and I had to hypothesize and say, okay, it's going to take time for us to go over observations. We're going to do more observations. We're going to do a lot more regarding some clinical review ahead of time before seeing her. It's all paid, by the way. Our orientation is all paid, okay? I do not believe in anybody doing anything in CFY for free. You know, um, I, I uh, did a lot with, you know, answering questions. There's also the social aspects. And we try to meet for a team building lunch. She wasn't able to make that. That's fine. But I come up with a constructed plan of what I believe the CF needs, even prior to starting. Okay. And then my clinical supervisor takes it from there. We work in partnership. And we continue to have an idea of how many hours, based upon what we see initially, how many hours of supervision she's going to need. And we are always able to adjust that. So it's conversations. It's how did that go? What are you thinking for the plan of care? Do you think one time a week would be good? Do you think two times a week? It's constantly allowing the CF to talk about 
what they are thinking and being able to stand firm on what they believe is right for that patient. So we, I touch base and it, just as an experiment, I'm going to touch base with the clinical supervisor and say, how's it going? So there's two parts to this experiment. I'm experimenting with the clinical supervisor because <laughs> I'm supervising the clinical supervisor. So that's one part there as the clinical director. And then also she's giving me feedback like, oh, I've been doing three hours a week with her and that seems to be working out fine. I think it's sufficient. I know it's sufficient because of A, B, C, and D. Okay, great, great. Excellent, excellent. And then we revisit that a little bit more into the first semester. It usually changes up around the second semester where she's getting everything she needs, might change a little bit more into some virtual and some on-site, but I'm constantly checking in with my supervisor just to give me that feedback of what do you see? Do we need to adjust anything? Okay, everything's going good. Let's move forward. So we have that flexibility to change the experiment as we need to. Give us what they need. Uh, I'm sorry for cutting across you. Um, That's right. I was going to say, I really appreciate that attention to detail that you have with that intern, because when it comes to just molding them into clinician, rather than being a little hands-off laissez-faire, I know that does work for some people. Some people don't want that. You know, some people don't want that. Some people don't even need that. I think, especially post-COVID, a lot of people are going in just really shaking in their boots, not feeling as supported. And I do appreciate that lesson. And I'm hoping that future supervisors or current supervisors can listen to this now and have a certain mindset. Um, I can tell you right now, I'm going into a season of finally being a supervisor myself. So I'll be listening to this. Thank you so much and taking notes. I want to jump into Mentorship May. So yeah. you have Mentorship May. It's Adrian and was Natasha part of Natasha, it? Natasha, yes. Awesome. Can you tell us a bit about that and how we can be geared up next year? So Mentorship May is just one night or one little evening every week in May where you're going to have the three authors of Start Your Engines talk about our collective experience. And when I say collective experience, it's over 60 years collective experience as supervisors, as CEOs, to discuss the clinical fellowship process, to give relevant advice, talk about new changes that are happening, and to give support as needed. It's absolutely free. And we did it on IG Live. I think next time we're definitely going to have to do some YouTube and go across platforms. But it was a great time just to ask a lot of questions. A lot of future CF and current CFs, they were feeling very supported and they were able to ask a lot of questions that maybe they hadn't thought of or um, address some different issues that they really didn't know needed to be addressed. So it's all about empowering I think, SLPs and future SLPs into moving forward in and taking ground in their career. Could you give us maybe one or two examples of questions that attendees asked and how you answered them for them? Sure. So 
Uh, one question that individuals tend to ask and did ask, how do I negotiate? How do mm -hmm. I negotiate? Uh, is there a right way? Is there a wrong way? There's absolutely a wrong way to negotiate. There's a way that if you go into negotiations, you will absolutely terminate the interview. So I don't want to say that to scare anybody, but there's lots of resources out there that it's all about listening. It's all about doing your prior research as to what is a reasonable hourly salary? What is a reasonable yearly salary? Most of the time, it's not going to be a full year. It's nine months time that your CF is comprised of. But how do I even approach the conversation of money? So depending on exactly how big the company is, that's going to kind of let you know when you can kind of bring it up. I will say that companies that are led by a clinician understand that this is one of the most important topics to talk about. So whereas a bigger company or if you work for a corporate company, they're not going to give you that offer letter in your first interview, in the phone interview. That's not going to happen. It's usually going to happen after the first, second, or even if there's an observation, when they actually are ready to extend the offer to you, it will state the actual amount, okay? And there might be room for wiggling. There might be wiggle room. There might not be. For me, as a CF and a CF provider and, and offering that opportunity, we do have a CF package. So just knowing that negotiation isn't just about the money, it also is about, is it continuous pay? I know that sounds weird. I want to tell you I know it sounds weird, but there are people right now here in the United States in 2023 that are not getting paid for all of their hours that they're at a CF. There's some places that only pay if the actual patient shows up. So your paycheck is at the mercy of, statistically speaking, in the state of Florida, for caseloads that are like Medicaid heavy, and it's in private practice, going to have a no-show rate about like 35%. Mm -hmm. Woohoo! Mm. So if you willingly move into a position where you may or may not get paid that variance, it's not going to be so kind to you, and it's not going to be so kind to your bottom line not going to be so kind to your paycheck. So asking those questions, even if they say, oh, we're going to pay you $40. Well, is it $40 continuous? What happens if there's a no-show? Are there benefits involved here? So that is also something that goes into your big negotiation, health benefits. Don't just say, oh, there's full health benefits. Say, all right, no, ask them what insurance company. Because if it's Bilbo Baggins out of, Hoboken, who knows where, right? And there's mm -hmm. no providers. So what good is that for you to even have that insurance plan? So I know it's a lot to think about. It really is. But mm -hmm. you sitting down with a mentor, you sitting down with our book, you're sitting mm -hmm. down and looking over your spreadsheet of possibilities of what is out there, what has been offered to me, and give yourself time to think. And make sure that you have someone that's alongside you that's advocating. 
I'm not going to lie to you. Sometimes I interview people and I advocate for them, even yeah. though I'm interviewing them. So I had someone that was interviewing for a position and she's like, I don't know. I'm just so in between this position and that position. I said, well, tell me about the other position. She's like, uh, well, I'm like, no, no, no. You're talking to SLP advocate Pam now. Yeah. Not, okay. So that's the hat I have on. She was like, okay. I said, I know this is awkward, but you need to talk this out because I think you're just kind of going in a rut. So she told me about the other position and it's not exactly what she wants. And she really wanted to go for my position because it's adult and it's pediatrics. And I was like, oh, I understand that. But you're leaning more towards the other position. Did you know you can also work with me, like maybe your second or third semester in, get some experience with adults. You could do that. You could really do that. She was like, really? So always do what's best for yourself. Don't worry about burning bridges because I'm telling you, the bridges you want to stay connected to are the ones that are not so fragile. I'm not so fragile for someone to say, okay, right now it's not our season, but I would like to revisit this in the future. I'm not feeling any kind of way about that. I applaud someone that's taking control of their clinical fellowship career, their SLP career. I applaud that. I advocate for that. So those are the people you want to be connected to. Absolutely. You want to be connected to them. Thank you so much. I really like that quote. You know, the bridges that, oh, you might have to say it again. No, I just came to me. I fragile. The ones that you want to be connected to are not so fragile. Uh, oh, that's good. Melanie, you should put that on a t-shirt. I think I will. Yeah, I think I will. We gotta go 50-50 on that. I was no, like, no, no, we we will. We'll talk after. We'll yeah, talk. yeah, we'll talk. Yeah, when I was when I was saying that, I was like, oh my gosh, I never thought of it that that yeah. happened to me. I run my mouth so much and I really, I'm just saying, I happen to be Christian. I trust my voice a lot, a lot, a lot. So I talk so much that when I say something, sometimes I'm like, I never thought of it that way. I'm going with that. That's a really good statement, you know? So yeah, yeah. trust your voice. Trust your voice. Yes. Yes. Let the Holy Spirit lead. Absolutely. I, see, and that was a time where I literally hate to be kind of like, but I wasn't talking. I'm just saying, I was like, Okay. Okay. No, I'm good. What's good about that? Yes. Well, Pam, thank you so, so much. I want to get some questions out of the way that some interns asked me before we close. Yes. First of all, how long would you recommend working in the field before starting your private practice? Is there a timeline? Oh, there, there's not a timeline. You just need to make sure that you are finished with your CF. So while you are in your CF, don't do this in your first semester, your first trimester, okay? Don't do this really in the first part of your second trimester, but you need to start connecting to someone and get mentored. Check out independent clinician. Check out how to get school contracts. Please don't get connected to anybody else except for Ebony Green. SLP contracts queen. She has the receipts. Don't go with everybody else. It's like, we'll tell you how to. Okay. When they hit in the double digits of million dollar contracts that they've helped people, then you can listen to them. But 
Ebony Green, independent clinician, you need to follow them. That's Jenna Casbon. You definitely need to connect with her. She has a whole system about how to start your practice. I believe day one out of your CFY, you can start it. You don't need to, and you really shouldn't start it per se while you're in your CF. I mean, you know, practicing under your own practice when you're in your CF because you're not an independent, you're dependent. Your license is a provisional license and it's connected to someone else. So that's a lot to be doing under someone else's licensure. Wait until you have your independent licensure. Yes, definitely reach out to Ebony Green in in a Casbah from Independent Clinician. They're both fabulous, fabulous women who are doing fabulous things for us who want to be CEOs. When did you feel like you had a place in the field and you felt like you belonged? Oh, my goodness. This is probably not the answer that anybody wants to hear, but it really did start in ninth grade. Like when I was like the only one, you know, like I felt like I was the only one that knew even about the field. So the ideology and just the, I think, feeling like I had a place there. And I think it started in ninth grade, but in reality, I would say I felt like I really had arrived when I was in my private practice and my schedule was full. I was in Winter Park and people were traveling to me from Melbourne, which is a whole hour, hour and a half. They were coming from Titusville because I accepted their insurance and I also was a voice specialist. So that was a great feeling. That was really a great feeling. I felt like I had really just arrived. I felt very self-supported, but... (laughs) I really felt like, oh, I had a place in my community as a speech language pathologist. I was very, even back then, I was very connected with Chamber of Commerce. I felt very connected in the community as a medical provider. I loved it. Well, thank you so much, Pam. The question just came back to my head. Are you ready for it? I'm ready, of course. (laughs) Okay, so how can soon-to-be CFYs or CFYs for their clinical fellowship year so that way they can prevent burnout and also just make sure that they're having an overall good experience. Yes, you have to have a life. And if mm-hmm. you don't have a life, yeah, and I'm, I'm just being a little bit harsh now. Now I'm going to be a little harsh. If you don't have a life, you need to get a life. And I mean that to say if you are in undergraduate program, if you're in the graduate program and that is your life, you have to start working on balance now. It's not going to get easier when you're in SLP. It's not going to be like, well, I cannot wait. Well, it's going to be different because I'll be getting paid. It's going to be, it doesn't get different. You know why? Because you're not different. It won't be different because you're not different. So some of those changing of the mindset of, yes, putting your health first, coming up with some fun things to do, some exciting things to do putting your pennies together, getting your passport. I get it. You might say, Pam, but now you're talking from a place of privilege. I'm talking from a place of intention. And I'm trying to tell you what you need to do. You need to connect with people. If you were like I was and you weren't big on collaborating, you need to stretch your wings 
and find some people to network with. You need to find some people to collaborate with. And it's very easy to find that in your local in Basla chapter. You need to go to conventions. You need to see the big picture. You need to disconnect from people that are negative. This is how you prepare for your CFY. You need to disconnect from the people that are negative. If you're following someone and they're like, poo, 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 tomatoes, tomatoes, Asha, you need to stop following them. It will lead to burnout. It will. Negative people will lead to burnout. So you need to get those people out of your atmosphere and you need to be connected to people that are positive. Yeah, that are talking about the issues, but are also talking about solutions. Yeah. Also think about getting involved because I tell you what, I'm I'm 40 years, 48 years old. I was going to say I was 40 years old. And, you know, I feel like God says, I'm lying, girl. I am not. Okay, well, so naturally, I'm 40 years old. I'm 48 years old. I've been in the field. I've been working in the field since 1997. And there will come a time where you feel like you are burning out. And it's up to you. No one's going to take your hand. And no one's going to put you on the don't burn out bus. No one's going to coddle you. There are ways that you can get connected to things that matter, your passion areas, making sure that you're taking care of yourself. For me, I know there's so smiles for speed. There's so many ways to get connected and involved in whatever area that's adjacent to speech language pathology so that you're not just tunnel vision and getting burnt out on your day-to-day nine to five. There's so much more as far as perspectives. I think burnout comes a lot. Well, you know, I've listened to your uh your, your talk about that, but it comes so much about feeling small and feeling you have no impact and your perspective is so minute that you don't see the big picture. So yeah, keep the big picture in, in mind. Yes. And Pam, we really could have a whole other. Well, that's um, another, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. There's so much more I want to say, but I'm like, we'll be here for two <laughs> hours. Uh, and we will. So- and we will. <laughs> So next time, next time. So Pam, I'm sure that you're going to Ambassador next year. Of course. And I hopefully will be presenting at least two. Well, probably three. Not not okay. by myself, but I will be presenting a lot. And I'm working on two research studies that we're hoping to present at Ambassador and Asha next year. So it's exciting. Are you going to be in Boston this year? I will definitely be in Boston. Um, I'm serving on a committee. I do the whole, I'm going to, you know, do the virtual um, CEUs and I'm going to just connect to as many people as possible. So ASHA is like a social time for me. I'm going to be right. here, there and everywhere. And you and I, I'm going to staple you down or you're going to staple me down yeah. and we're going to actually connect this time. Yeah, I know. We've been trying to catch each other at every convention and it just... <laughs> At this time, it's pathetic. It's just straight up pathetic. But we're gonna we're gonna change. We're gonna change for the better. We are. We are. Well, Pam, where can people find you if they have any more questions? I will be posting the replay, and I will be posting Start Your Engine. Get this book, everybody. The first person to DM me gets the book for free. Yes, the first person who DMs me gets the Start Your Engine book for free. For free. Yeah, and I'm not just saying this because I love Pam. Truly, I wish that I had this book when I was in my CF year. 
you can always reach out to me. I'm on Instagram at uh, Speech Orlando. At Speech Orlando, you can find me on there. I'm not going to change my name, I promise. Go ahead and reach out to me, and I try to be super responsive. Try to be. Well, thank you so much, Pam, for your time and your wisdom. This was a fabulous chat. Everyone, thank you so much for coming. Those watching the replay, thank you so much for coming. Tune in next Wednesday when I talk to Danny CLDSLP about being Black in academia. Until then, bye, fam. Bye-bye. Well, family, that's the episode. What did you think? Wherever you're listening, I'd appreciate if you left a review. Your feedback means a lot to me and helps me find more ways to help you on your journeys. If you're looking for more ways to expand your cultural competitivity in your clinical practices, follow me on Instagram at Pediatric Speech Sister and check out my newsletter for more show updates. I'll include all these links in the show notes. Until then, I'll see you next week.